people like to say to to be good at investing, mm-hmm. you need a high rate of return. Mm. Which of course is true. You know, it'd be great to have a high rate of return. Yes. But you know, in the US, uh, they did a study, right? Mm-hmm. They said, okay, the, in the US, the EPF equivalent is a four zero one k. Four one k. Four one k, right? So they did an analysis. They said, okay, what were the things that people with a four zero one k million dollar status yeah. versus non million dollar status? Mm-hmm. In other words, what were these million millionaires four zero one k millionaires doing, and how did they get there? What was the biggest factor? Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www firl.co slash f-r-e-e or www.firl.co slash free welcome 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 back to the firo podcast so john yes this edition Mm -hmm. of our podcast we're gonna take a mini detour but it's not a detour into a totally different subject that's right it's still within stock investing Mm -hmm. but we're going to share with you some of the tips that we do, mm-hmm. we seen, we've seen work before, that is money-related, personal finance-related, specifically for stock investors. Fantastic. So, you know, the thing about personal finance is that, it's, that, that is very personal, mm. right? And so, if you're listening, if you've been listening to us for a long time, you know that we are stock investors and you're probably listening to us because you're a stock investor as well. Mm-hmm. And the thing we realize is that stock investing really is as important as it is. There's actually a bunch of stuff you have to do before for you to be successful. Mm -hmm. And so that's what these things that are before, that's what we're going to talk about today. Great. I think uh, foundation first before anything else. That's right. So that is, you know, John used the exact, the, the correct word, which is foundation, right? So I think the first thing that I realized first is to realize that investing is not a pill. Not a cure, not an immediate cure to your... Yeah, it's not a panadol, right? Mm. So we hear all the time, um, we talk to some of our clients, we used to train, you know, hundreds of people. And we always hear this same thing, right? That the reason they're investing is so that they can have financial freedom. Or... Consistent passive income. Consistent passive income. Yeah. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> and the hidden message is that they're coming for a course, they're coming for our coaching, they're watching our videos so that they can have a good financial life. Now, don't get us wrong, investing is an important component, but it's just one of many. Yeah. And in fact, there are at least three or four more components you have to care about before you start investing. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first one that is really important that you cannot ignore is your active income. That's correct. So we all talk about passive income all the time and you know how great it is. And it is great, obviously. But guess what? For you to get passive income, 
you need capital. Mm-hmm. And for you, get, for you to get capital, you need to have active income. Unless you inherited it or you probably, you know, had a lottery winning. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. John, mm-hmm. how important is active income and why you cannot ignore it? For those of you less endowed, people mm. like me and you, MJ, mm. um, where is a source of funds? And actually, uh, as at the end of the year, at the at the end of last week, I was closing. Uh, I closed two insurance cases. Nice. Okay. And why why is this being used as an example? Was that one of the first due diligence questions when anyone buys an insurance policy? Mm-hmm. They ask this thing first. Where is your source of funds? That's right. And how is this related to what we're discussing? Is that for us and for most of people who are less endowed and they don't have a source of funds, you have to rely on active income to be able to fund and eventually get your passive income. A lot of, I think, a lot of people think. Even last night, <laughs> I had a friend of mine who just texted me out of the blue. Mm. Mm. And he asked me, "Hey, uh, Jonna, can I've got fifty k extra, and I don't want to put it into my house. Uh, should I put it into my housing loan, or should I look for an investment that can return to me uh, eight to ten percent? Not a lot, John, just eight to ten percent, but within six months." Wow. <laughs> so here he was. He's he he he's, uh, he's he has an active income, but by that uh, request. It already tells me a lot about how people think about, uh, like what you just said about short termism, and people want that uh, that financial independence because they think that they can get away from active income and not do anything for the rest of their life. Yeah, I think one thing I hear a lot is that you know people want to quit yeah. their jobs, yes, to just invest in stocks, yeah. and that probably is mistake number one. Correct. You're not gonna get it. Correct. Right? Like John said, like you said earlier on, yeah. Unless you inherit a lot of money, mm-hmm. millions, yes, you shouldn't be quitting your job. Nope, not at all. Uh, what I can advise, though, and this is similar to what I did, was that one of the mistakes I made was focusing so much on my of my time trying to build my career in my early days. Yes, I was spending a lot of time. I was spending time, not as much as I wanted to, but I was spending a lot of time uh, uh, building my career. Mm. And I think for those active income earners out there, what do you do after your work? This is where you try to find a balance because while you are climbing your corporate career and you are exchanging time for money, right? Mm-hmm. You need to draw a balance to say that, hey, even if you commit 16 hours a day today, what are you actually looking for? You're looking for a probably a promotion, an increase in pay, mm-hmm. but it also comes with increased responsibilities. My advice would be to balance it out in a sense that do what is needed to be actively employed, but at the same time, in your spare time, that is the time when you should be spending to think about your passive income and to improve the skills. You cannot, I think the struggle for most people is that I'm already so busy in my professional career and I'll just put money somewhere in a black box or something hoping that one day that will become an automatic passive income that will just grow automatically. Yeah, it will, but only if you put work to it. It's like you're planting a seed or a flower, you don't water it, you don't put fertilizer, 
and then one day you expect it to grow into a blossom into a beautiful flower. I think that that, that doesn't yeah, happen. actually that's a very good analogy because yeah. I think like gardening is a very relaxing thing, and Correct. I and it's a good uh, parallel you draw between gardening and investing, and. The thing I realized is that passive income is actually not totally passive. Yes. It's like gardening. It's most of the time, the plant will grow by itself. Correct. Right? Or the whatever you're planting, fruits or trees. But there's still the additional work of the fertilizer, of ensuring that they get the sunlight, ensuring they get enough water. That's right. And so this, this water, this sunlight, all these fertilizers is essentially the... Uh, hours that you put in, especially after work, to cultivate That's right. this investment pot. Correct. So my question to you is, what do you think is the right amount in terms of hours, if you have a specific number or a range? Let's say I present to you this situation. Let's say I, I, I work 40 to 50 hours a week. A so week. that is a 9 to 5 mm-hmm. or a 9 to 6, yeah. right? Which is typically, you know, if you're if you're listening, that's probably what, that's probably your situation. Yeah. So, what is a a good amount of time to put into this, cultivating this garden called investing? I I would say roughly between five to ten hours, and <clears throat> it really also boils down to your personal motivation. A week, know? right? Yeah, a week. I'm talking about a week. It really boils down to your personal motivation because when I when I caught the value investing bug, right. Every spare hour that I could find mm. was dedicated to either reading or trying yeah. to figure it out. And I think a lot of people don't don't think of it as in sacrifices they need to make mm. because they will say that I will never have enough time. Yeah, but ti- everybody has 24 hours. It's the choices you make about how you spend your time. Uh. Yeah. And I was just telling uh, someone who DM me on Instagram, um, I could enjoy the fruits of my labor today was because of how I chose not way not just where I put my money but where I put my time. Mm. And you cannot you, you let's just say the the analogy of the gardening right you you put up this tree and it grown up but it had a lot of weeds you didn't tend to it properly right but it's now like half grown and it's not it's half stunted. Mm-hmm. You cannot turn back time and try to you, <laughs> you know, cannot ungrow it. You cannot ungrow <laughs> it and and try yeah. to impact the the, the, the the stages of which mm. it grew, right? So I would say five to 10 hours and it boils down to your own motivation of how much you want to do. Investing ironically is a very, uh, you need to be, you, you need to have a very curious mindset. That's right, absolutely. And not just read about the shortcuts and things. It's, it's, you just have this natural yeah. tendency to want to read more and want to find out more. Not so much just to get the means to an end, but just out of curiosity, mm-hmm. just out of personal growth as well. And yeah, five to 10 hours, I think it's, it's. come on guys, five to 10 hours is probably an hour a day in a you, week. You know, you use the word sacrifice yeah. and, you know, we we and a few people that we know, we understand sacrifice is important. But of course, the word sacrifice has a negative connotation to it. Yeah. But speaking of sacrifice, um, saving money. Ah, yes. Right? That is something that is a form of sacrifice. Oh yes, right. Um, and the thing I realized again, back to this uh, idea of uh, investing as a a pill, mm. is that because a, a lot of people think a lot that if they invest, then they don't need to save money. <laughs> 
You know what was our rule of thumb, uh, MJ? Mm. So we, I think more, some of you will be surprised that if I if I told you even with a big paycheck in 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 Shell yeah. when I was working, right? I was literally living almost paycheck to paycheck for the first five years of my career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And why was that? Not because I was spending like no tomorrow, but I forced myself to put money into various assets. So my so certain things like my rule of thumb. I was paying off so much for my mortgages. Mm. I was a real estate investor. But before that, let me stop you there. Yeah. Um, you so you work at Shell. Yeah. What percentage uh, of the population do you think you were in in terms of your income for your age group at that point in time? I would say less than ten percent of the working population. Top, group. You're in the top ten yeah, percent essentially. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good, good. So to give people an idea, I think the top twenty. In Malaysia, earns about twelve thousand ringgit a yeah, month. That's right. So top ten percent, you can do the math yourself, right? Yeah. Okay, continue. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, g- great, great uh, point. So, I had a rule of thumb for certain things. Like every time we get a bonus, it was a mm-hmm. huge amount, and of obviously it was taxable, EPF, deductible, and all that. But my rule of thumb was that I would only spend half of my bonus every year for. Stupid money, fun yeah. for fun. Uh, some say stupid. I've, uh, it's, yeah. it's a better way to put it. It's fun, and because of that half save, right, soaked away, put into investments. Uh, only then I could have that capital, you know. Because every month, uh, if I was living paycheck to paycheck, because I was paying all these mortgages for mm-hmm. all these real estate investments that I had, right, I literally had no savings. Mm-hmm. For the first few years, I lived. Well, you got four savings in your in your house, la. Yeah, four, four savings. savings in the house, la, which we can talk about later, la. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, until unless that bucket kind of like a bucket system works, mm. nobody, and I mean nobody, no matter how thrifty you are, it, it's difficult to save money. I I just have to admit it; it's difficult. Mm-hmm. You need to have that system in place, and if I were to aggregate what was my savings rate. I would say, on an annual basis, probably between fifteen to twenty percent. That's fantastic. Sorry to interrupt this podcast. I know it's a little bit annoying, but I want to tell you something that I think can be really helpful to you. I can tell you're really interested in the stock market and want to learn more about it, so that you actually know what you're doing, especially when today things are getting more complex and complicated. That's why we came up with the Stock Investing Blueprint or SIB. It's our signature e-learning program that teaches you how to pick the right stocks most of the time, buy and sell it at the best possible time and manage your stock portfolio systematically. It currently has more than 10 hours of content and it's growing. You'll also be part of a group of like-minded investors that can help speed up your learning process. To hop on the program, click on the link in the description or go to learn.viral.co slash courses slash SIB. Speaking of savings rate, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, some, some people ask us, uh, like, what's the right amount to save a month? But before that, you have to realize back to my earlier point about uh, why saving is important or rather that many people think you don't need to save once you start investing, is mm. that people like to say to to be good at investing, mm-hmm. you need a high rate of return. Mm. Which, of course, is true. You know, it would be great to have a high rate of return. Yes. But, you know, in the US, uh, they did a study, right? Mm-hmm. They said, okay, in the US, the EPF equivalent is a 401k. 
401k. That's 401k, right. right. So they did an analysis. They said, okay, what were the things that people with a 401k mm-hmm. um, million dollar status yeah. versus non-million dollar status? Mm-hmm. In other words, what were these million millionaires, 401k millionaires doing? And how did they get there? What was the biggest factor? What was the factor? So if you so so a lot of these finance geeks, right? They they started, and you guys can know this full story uh, through Dave Ramsey. He shared ah. this story, mm. and basically there was people were giving saying, "Oh, it's the rate of return." Mm. So because so in Malaysia you just get let's say five six percent, right? In the yeah. US you get to choose your funds mm-hmm. through the four zero one k. So they say, "Oh, it's the type of fund you choose, which determines the rate of return." I see. Then some people say is that oh, based on the type of funds you choose for your retirement, the Management fees, the cost uh, of owning those okay, fees, okay. or some even say, oh, the timing when they started specific investing. timing, like, okay, okay. So by a factor of three to one, oh, that's quite big. In other words, right, the factor right is seventy five percent, and the remain all the remaining uh, reasons is twenty five percent only. This mm-hmm. one reason mm-hmm. is that they put in money. Literally just consistently put in money. That's it. And it's so common sense, right? Yeah. Uh, you want more money into your retirement? Just put in more money. Actually, the joke we always have is this, right, MJ, with a lot of people who ask us, how do you increase your, mm. uh, your rate of return is, what is zero multiplied by 20% compound? What? No, sorry, zero. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't put in money into the pot, you don't have a savings rate, you don't have active income, you don't have inherited wealth. Mm. So where is that pot? Or where yeah. Is, yeah. You, you can have Jim Simon's uh, KGA, 60% multiplied by zero, it's still a zero. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the thing, the math about savings rate is actually very, very yeah. shocking to me when I first saw this, right? Yeah. If you save, uh, I believe 15% of your income, mm-hmm. you will be, and, and, and that money you save uh-huh. only goes at 5%. 5%, yeah. It's 5%, right? Yeah. Any any mutual fund will be able to do that, actually. Most of it, sorry. Yeah, most mm, yeah probably, right? Yeah. So at 5%, if you save 15% of your income, you can retire mm-hmm. in 40 years. That's not bad. If you start at 25, 65. That's right. Yeah. So, but if you just bump that up to 30%, mm-hmm. that number drops from 40 to 28. Half, almost half. Mm. Mm. So if you are a little bit uh, crazy, uh-huh. you save half, okay. and I know some of you are listening can do that. That number drops from 28 to 16. Ooh-hoo. 16 years. I remember this at 5% only. <sighs> okay? Then, those absolute nuts that can save 75% of income. <laughs> Eight years, eight to nine years. Virtually start work at 22, retire at 30. Yeah, at 5%. 5%. But here's the thing, here's the thing, right? Yeah. I know most of you cannot save half your income. Yeah. Let's be honest, right? It's tough. But um, you can increase, that's where you can actually increase the rate of return. Yeah. Because instead of doing 5%, if you do 10% or 15%, mm-hmm. Then even if you save fifteen percent of your income, mm-hmm. you won't retire in forty years. You probably retire in twenty. And guess what? Very few people retire yeah. in twenty years. Twenty years. That's what you're gonna do in retirement. Forty four. Yeah, mm. at forty four, play know, golf you every day. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, that's <laughs> savings. Yes. Now, 
Another thing that I think is important and building on savings yes. is savings protection. Ah. Right? Yes. So there's another word for savings protection. It's used very rarely. No no one calls this other thing savings protection, but we do. Or not no one, very few people. Very few. And that's insurance. Ah. So you might be wondering, eh, I thought insurance is about uh, medical protection. I thought insurance is about investment link. I thought it's about PA, term plan, all that. So John, as the insurance agent, please share with us why insurance is important for stock investors. Okay. I'll synthesize it this way. Most of us have heard of the Maslow hierarchy of needs. Oh, yes, we have. Right. If you don't, if you for those of you who are listening who don't, just just Google it up. And I'm simplifying here. So you have your basic needs, and then you have so like food, shelter, food, and like shelter, that. you know, your most basic needs. And then you grow up wanting to be someone better, some mm, growth. Mm. And then the ultimate uh, pinnacle of the Maslow hierarchy is self-actualization, where you actually contribute back to society and all mm. that kind of thing. In finance, and this is very rarely spoken, is we actually have a financial hierarchy. Oh, okay. And the parallels or analogy I like to draw is this. It's like when you look at the KLCC Twin Towers, Mm -hmm. most people would admire the architecture, the structure of it, and how high it can can go, right? Mm -hmm. But before you construct the KLCC Twin Towers, what needs to happen? uh? The foundations. The pauling, right? Yeah. If I didn't ask you in that manner, most of it would have been forgotten because it's not seen, right? Yeah, you think you, you put plaster scene you know, <laughs> and, and it just rises together. Up, right? Yeah. And and in financial hierarchy is is similar. The the problem with insurance is that it is an unseen foundation that most people tend to miss out. They think that, oh, I, I have a million bucks, I don't need to be insured. Very good. My counter to that is this. Let's just say you're on your way to build a hundred million bucks, right? Or your, your, even your first one million. But midway through, something happens that you can't avoid, a medical emergency or an accident or whatever. What do you start doing? You start pulling up money that you've saved up so hard that we just talked about active income, savings and everything. Mm. And you use it to pay it on a one-to-one basis of your medical bills. Mm-hmm. The beauty about insurance, I'm not, I'm not going to explain the whole details. It's going to take a very long time. But you think of it this way that Insurance is actually to protect whatever you have saved up and invested. Yeah. That's the key point because you want leverage. We borrow money to buy a property for leverage. You you don't have the full capital. Yeah. Similar to insurance, I think of it this way. I'm putting a certain percentage, but I'm getting 10 times or 12 times the coverage that I require through an insurance company. Why should I be doing insurance? You can self-insure if you're 10 million, no problem. Yeah. But if you're like a hundred thousand or negative a hundred thousand net worth, can you really self-insure? I I highly doubt it, lah. Yeah, it's yeah. uh, it's so the thing I realized about insurance for stock investing and just people in general is that you the 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 lower your net worth, mm-hmm. the bigger the friend. Yes, you you will see in uh, insurance, especially the lower and and. I know there are a lot of people, bloggers, opinion yeah. uh, <coughs> writers, that say that don't spend money on insurance. Whatever you have, just just self-insure. Yeah, I I know resources are limited, but there's a reason why the word accident mm. 
or an unfortunate event yeah. is that it's unfortunate. Will you be able to predict it to the precise moment that you... Yeah, <laughs> fate does not choose who it uh, decides to mess up, you know? Exactly. Um, whether you're rich or poor, right? Yeah. And I think I, I don't blame most people that shun away from this is mm. because they don't have a perception of how much it, it actually... To be honest, for a 20 to 30-year-old, if you're paying anything more than 300 a month for insurance, you're yeah. not paying the right plan. So how much is 300? If you're, if you're earning, if you're, if you're a fresh graduate, you're earning 3,000, it's, it's 10%. Yeah. Right. And I think 10% for a coverage of a million bucks or, or, or more in terms of medical, I, I think it's a fair price to pay. La. And I think even if you cannot um, afford that amount, yeah. it's still better and and therefore you're underinsured. Correct. It's still better to be underinsured than to be not insured. Not insured right? at all. Right. Just imagine if you, let's just say if you pay 200 month, mm. a year is 2004, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Five years down the road, you need surgery. 2004 times five, you're talking about probably uh, 12,000 something. Yeah. Right. right? The surgery, any surgery today, even an appendix surgery, will probably cost you fifteen, mm. right? <laughs> At least you can knock it off. You right? can knock so. it off already. I mean, like uh, there's a personal story. My my son, I, I left employment, so when I was in Shell, everything was covered. My son, mm. first month being born, I bought him a policy. Mm. I was struggling, to, uh, you know, starting off as an entrepreneur. Two hundred bucks was a lot, right? I told myself, nope, I'm a believer. I know this will somehow uh, help me elevate my cost in the future. And it's tr true. So I paid for three months. He was admitted. Guess how much the bill came up to. So I paid three months, right? 200 times three, 600 bucks. Mm -hmm. The bill came up to 7,200. 7, wow, that's uh, 600, <laughs> 12 times. 12 times payoff. I already made my money. In a way, yeah. made back my money. Yeah. Obviously, I don't wish that for it I to mean, happen. I mean, the investment return comes back in the form of the value of the service Correct. of the doctor. Correct. And right. if, if I did not, then what, what would I have to do? I would have to draw down my investments because I was living on my investments at that yeah, point, yeah. right? I would have to draw out my investments and what if that was an opportunity, the stock was actually rising at that point. You don't want to be doing that yeah, in desperate times because it's a forced sale, a fire sale. And, and this is when, uh, for context, this is when the, the COVID bounce back was happening, right? Oh, no, this was uh, before that. It was, I think, uh, 2015. So oh, so this was when the, the, the GSD and the 1MDB, yeah. and then there was like a bounce back. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. All, right, yeah. all right. Yeah. So you see, if you don't protect yourself, you are, you're not using leverage to, mm. the most, to the most, especially more so for the stock investor because what you want is you want to keep your money as invested as long as possible. Mm -hmm. But if you don't put in other things like an insurance or whatever, I'm not asking you to go nuts on insurance. No. Of course. Yeah, but if you do that, then that really is wealth protection from my point of view. Yeah, and you 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 actually keep the compound train going. Pro, uh, you prevent it from stopping. Exactly. Right? Let it keep going. Yeah. So anyway, speaking of compounding, I think what is very not talked about at all mm -hmm or very little, is uh, the power of dividends. Oh, yes. So the thing in Malaysia, unfortunately, is that if you invest in a bunch of stocks, the dividends don't end up in the brokerage account mm. where you can take it and then start investing it again. That's right. It actually ends up in your bank account. Now you might be wondering, hey, money is entering my bank account. Why is that an issue? <laughs> right? Yeah. And I can tell you it's an issue because as fast as it goes into your bank account, it goes out of your bank account. The itchy hand syndrome. 
Yeah, and I can show you when it goes out of your bank account, it's not to other investments, it's not to other, any other, uh, you know, enriching things. It's more the fun. The fun part. The fun part. So, John, why are dividends? How, how should a stock investor manage their dividends? I think I will start with the notion of uh, compounding. Uh, we always have this excuse that we don't have enough money to invest. Mm -hmm. But then whenever we receive our dividends, what do we do? We spend it. Yeah. Hey, by John, if you're under ringgit, you uh, what was right. that? In, 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 in Malaysia, where we stay, there's this phrase in Malay, it says, Sikit, Sikit, Lama, Lama, Jadi Bukit. Mm. So I don't know how do you translate that directly into English, right? Why are you... Yes, uh, you know, it starts with a little and it becomes a lot. It snowballs to a snowballs, yeah. snowballs to a lot, right? The if we show you the stats, over the long run, dividends make up 20 to 40% of your returns. Uh. Mm. And th those 20 ringgit, 10 ringgit, 15 ringgit, or even 100 ringgit kind of checks, right? Really snowballs. Even if you keep them as just dividends, mm -hmm. but where you really supercharge your portfolio is those dividends are actually replowed back into the shares. That what you want is you want to get more units. Mm, more units, units of, of the share, number of shares. Yes, right? units of the number of shares. And I have to introduce this concept of closed-ended or open-ended funds. Now, what does closed-ended actually mean? Closed-ended means whatever money that you have gotten from the proceeds of the fund through the returns or dividends is actually kept within the fund. It means every time you receive a dividend is either kept in cash or used to buy back more shares. Now, con in contrast, is this thing called an open-ended fund. Most mutual funds are mm. open-ended funds. They're very rare closed-ended funds, actually. And the struggle of uh, open-ended funds is that you do not actually get the maximized compounding effect. Because mm. every time money comes in, a dividend redistribution, whatever, it gets re re redistributed back to you as the shareholder. Yeah, you're, you're happy. Money comes into your pocket. But we forget that the reason why we invested in companies yeah. in the first place is they are better capital allocators than us, mm. right? They are better capital allocators in growing their business and everything. And you are putting your trust for them to grow your money in a Absolutely. way. Absolutely. But by you practicing an open-ended fund in which you are spending your- Most dividend, people are, uh, it's not open-ended, it's very, very open-ended. Very, very open-ended. Don't end up enjoying that company. And then the question, oh, stock investing is not good. Guys, there is yeah. no complaint about not having enough money. Just just ask yourself, hand to heart, ah, ask yourself, what are you doing with your dividend money? It's as simple yeah. as that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like like if you if you if you go and do a compound graph, right? Yeah, maybe you're making ten percent a year. Yeah. But because you reinvest the dividends, yes. that number maybe goes up to, to twelve or thirteen. No, yes. it doesn't sound like a lot. Yes. But I can show you at the end of the day, after five, ten, fifteen years, correct, that two to three percent will result in you having a few hundred thousand more ringgit. Oh, definitely. Just one or two percent, but you stretch it over a long run, right, MJ? Like what you said? Yeah, and you know what? Here's the thing. We talked about passive income earlier on, right? Mm. If you don't do dividend reinvestments, mm -hmm. you are delaying your passive income journey. That's right. You are definitely delaying that. And I think you brought up a fantastic point, MJ, in the sense that most people want that instant gratification mm. when they invest. Correct. Close-ended is really a delayed gratification process. Yeah. Because you shouldn't be touching your investment, your dividend returns mm. 
at this point. You want to you want to make it grow as big as possible so yeah. your portfolio is huge. Only then you're going to enjoy it. Yeah, and uh, before we move on to the last one, the thing I want to talk about dividends as well is that you know, now you think you feel good with the additional few hundred ringgit a month. Yeah. But you're not going to survive on that. Correct. If you want to survive on dividends, you need a few thousand from dividends. That's right. And for you to do that, in addition to having a good income, in addition to saving more money and putting it into the portfolio, mm-hmm. you actually need to reinvest those dividends. That's right. Which basically acts as a steroids. That's right. For your portfolio. Fantastic now, point. When it comes to steroids, there's another form of steroids as well. <laughs> and that steroids is called credit. Huh. Now, this is the last uh, tip we want to share with you guys. But as a stock investor, very often uh, it is dangerous That's right. to take a loan to invest. It's not like a house, right? Yeah. A house values don't fluctuate. Banks generally trust it. So they, you know, they, they give you a low interest rate and they are very fine with it usually. That's right. But when it comes to stock, of course, it's really volatile. The interest rate goes, uh, should be higher to my knowledge, mm-hmm. number one. Two, you are subject to margin calls. That's right. So for example, right, if you buy a house, the house is not going to drop 30% in the next two weeks. Unless probably a typhoon goes through, which Malaysia doesn't have. Well, if that happens, the, the price drop wouldn't be 30%. Yeah, so it'll, it'll be, be more than that. It'll be just wiped off. Right? Yeah. Literally, <laughs> the house get wiped off, right? Um, but, with stocks, thirty percent in two weeks is very possible. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time, actually. Yes. Right. Yes. Volatile market, not volatile market, happens. Yeah. So because of that, there's a huge, huge risk when it comes to taking loans for stocks. However, mm-hmm. if you are the aggressive type, and I think this is the key thing when it comes to this tip, right? This applies to you only if you are aggressive, you are confident, and you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing, because when let's say there is a crash or when your favorite stock is down by a lot, mm-hmm. then it's actually useful to back up the truck with mm. credit. That's right. To borrow credit. Correct. Right? And make sure you have the ability to pay. I think that's mm. key. <clears throat> uh, the reason why we want to bring this up as a, as a very, f- as, a, as, a, as a final tip in this podcast is, is simply because there's always this school of thoughts in between should you stay fully invested? Yeah. Or should you not be fully invested? That means you always keep a pot of cash on the side whenever to take opportunity when the market crashes. Yeah. MJ and I practice almost a fully invested kind of portfolio strategy. Mm-hmm. And leverage helps, especially if you already train yourself well, you already know, you know how to control your emotions and you know how to take a you know how to value a company. You need you want to take advantage of this. One tip that we could advise is actually have a credit line ready. Mm. And like what MJ accurately pointed out, you want to back the truck up when those opportunities. Think of 1996, 1998, sorry, 1998, the Asian financial crisis, or 2008, the global financial crisis. Even COVID, right? Yeah, even COVID. I mean, our portfolio, my portfolio was down by close to 60%. You know, I I, I can't remember off the mm. top of my head MJ's portfolio, but it was definitely down, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If at those moments you had spare cash, in which myself and MJ, we didn't, right? We could have taken advantage and pumped in more money to average down. Yeah. And if you are fully invested, one option is actually to have a credit line ready and you know, you've done your math, you know that if a loan is given to you over a medium term, probably two years or three years, mm-hmm. right? You would be able to pay off the loan and the interest because 
then you could deploy those money into those beaten down stocks. And that actually helps you alleviate the argument of not having enough money during a crash. The problem with a lot of people, they think they can time the market very well. Oh, yeah, man. And I would rather argue that rather than trying to time it, I would prepare for it, which mm. is in this case, the leverage. Huh? And I will only use it not purely because of greed, but because of opportunities. Mm. Put it this way. Yeah, yeah. It's not for you to like, uh, during a, a, a normal times and you use it. Yeah. You have to be very aware that you have to get the basics, right? You must be able yeah. to repay the loan. You have to do your math, right? It's not like, oh, I'm going to borrow 100,000. I think about how to pay about it tomorrow. No, that, that, no. It, that doesn't work that way. And I think the key thing about leverage or credit or thinking loans yes. to invest is that you technically don't need it. Yeah. You must not need it. Only then you, a very good point, yes. Jay. Yes. You yes. actually don't, you actually don't need it. And if you need it, don't, don't get it. Which is very weird, but it's like, <laughs> right? Um, and and I, I would actually say that I think leverage is good for this type of investors. Mm. If you want to have your own fund management company, if you want to take money from outside investors, mm. you need a track record. You want to show your performance. That's right. I think that's where uh, leverage is important, right? So I use the example of steroids. Oh, yes. There are certain uh, fields, like for example, bodybuilding, mm -hmm. where steroids is encouraged. Mm. But bodybuilding or Mr. Olympia and all that um, is a sport for the elite. Mm. And so steroids is then justified. Not for the amateurs. Not for the amateurs, right? Not even for the intermediate or mm. not even for the top 10%. This mm. is the top 0.1%. Mm. And I think the same applies to investors. Applies to investors. Yeah. Credit should only be done by people who don't need it, i.e. the 0.1% of this world. Yeah. And people who are there because they want to be right at the top of the mountain. Yeah. And if you have no desire or you have no ability, no uh, talent, no luck for it, <laughs> stay away from yes. credit. I think <clears throat> fantastic point about you borrow when you don't need it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, that is the end of the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, as you know, if you're interested in our coaching, do check the link in the description. Same, do get our free guidebook where we teach you how to build a six-figure portfolio. No worries. There's no mention of credit there. <laughs> so yeah, see you guys uh, in the next podcast. See you. Bye.